Welcome to Transcending Workspace, where we talk with leaders of organizations managing the greatest rate of change in human history. I'm Matt Watson, VP of Development with Apex Facility Resources, an integrated services company that delivers and manages workspace change for clients of all sizes. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Today's guest is Marlene McCauley. Marlene started her career as a legal secretary and became a paralegal managing massive construction litigation cases in the 90s. As a single mother of her daughter, Nicole, and seeking more independence, she began her first entrepreneurial pursuit, starting a paralegal business. In 1994, she married Matt Watson, that's me, and had two more children while starting Apex Facility Resources in 1997. Today, the kids are grown and we live in Cleelum in eastern Washington on a small ranch with two horses, eight chickens, and two dogs. Marlene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a a fun one um, because we live together (laughs) and have for the last 28 years, um, but we've worked together for the last 25, which is really interesting. Um, You started the business in 97, but it's not your first company. What was the motivation for you to start Apex? Uh, Well, I've been a paralegal for about uh, 14 years. I worked at various law firms um, in Seattle. And um, as a single parent, um, found that it was really challenging to manage work uh, schedule and uh, parenting. So um, started my paralegal business primarily to get my uh, independence, have a little bit more control over my schedule. And um, that started my entrepreneurial journey. And then uh, Apex um, opportunity came knocking on the door and uh, decided to start Apex and uh, launch my first um, project with King County Public Health. And it took off from there. Yeah, that was a, an amazing project. Um, so we chat a lot about how Apex is the result of a customer request. How has that fueled the growth over the years, do you think? Well, in the early days, we uh, had this motto of pretty much saying yes to anything. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, sometimes that worked out. But most times it worked out great. Other times became you know more of a challenge. But uh, we have always been very customer focused and uh, problem solving, uh, having a problem solving mindset. That uh, when a customer would ask if I, you know, could handle something or take care of something, or if I knew of another company that could help them, uh, and something maybe I didn't provide. Um, that's why uh, resources, facility resources is it is in our company name is uh, I always um, prided myself on being a really good resource yeah. for our clients. And those of, of those of you who don't know my wife, Marlene, she's constantly problem solving. And I think that Apex was really a result of that in a lot of ways, because in that time, in the late 90s, there was a lot of unmet need. Uh, customers asking for things. I remember uh, while we were doing a lot of work for one of the largest retail online retailers in the world, could you do our disconnect, reconnect for the computers that you're moving within our facility? Because that had never been done by movers. It had always taken a tech crew to do that. But we said, sure, most of our guys build their own computers already. And 
it's kind of an example of how the request came in, can you? And we said, well, if we can't, we'll figure it out, right? I mean, that's- Yeah, if we can't do it, we'll, re- we'll find someone who can. And uh, that really uh, be- became a, um, what we talk about, trusted yeah. partners uh, with our customers because they knew that we would send them to the right person if we couldn't take care of it. Right. And, you know, I think we were a little bit crazy in the early days of taking on too much and over uh, reaching. But I think that whole effort um, has helped us today because it's created a a more rational yet still optimistic and entrepreneurial mindset. I think in the earlier days, like you said, we said no to we 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 said yes to everything and Mm -hmm. perhaps tried to be too much. what what in, I did interestingly enough though in the early days um, the growth was massive and in 2007 Apex was recognized as the fourth fastest growing company in the Puget Sound Business Journal's fastest 100 and also recognized by Inc 500. What do you think um, at that time? What do you think we were doing that made the difference in our growth? Well, I've been for those first few years, um, it was just me and, uh, you know, had focused more on the used and refurbished furniture, um, slowly adding new furniture lines as customers um, asked for, you know, support in that area, uh, like conference rooms, et cetera, offices. And um, in 04, 2004, you joined Apex and by combining um, what otherwise clients were having to do with two different vendors, we integrated both commercial relocation, warehousing storage, and complex logistics with office furniture. And I, it, it basically that was the start of our journey of being a one-stop shop or yeah, you know one partner. right. So customers um, didn't have to go out and find two or three other vendors, they could uh, get a lot of that taken care of with Apex. And that definitely fueled a lot of um, that kind of, I call it the rocket ship growth. Uh, We grew like 900%. It was, it was uh, crazy times, fun times, crazy times. Yeah. That 2005, six and seven were amazing. Um, I think it culminated with um, a large project that, or an account owned by a very large um, contract aligned dealer. And we showed up uh, with a solution for remanufactured uh, uh, product in the very furniture line that they were buying new. And I think saved them double. I mean, they would have paid double what we charged them. And it was a massive project for us and a huge successful logistics Remember, we had to move 1,500 people, tear down 700 stations, and dispose of those responsibly because this particular customer was hyper-focused on environmentally um, responsible uh, disposition. And um, then we reinstalled another uh, 700 stations and moved everybody back in. So um, I thought that project was probably one of the linchpins, and there have been along the way a number of interesting projects that um, we've had. Um, and I think that also launched us into our quote unquote contract alignment. Um, and I think that what's interesting about that contract alignment with an, un, we're not going to tell you who the 
contract and manufacturer was, but we were aligned for four or five years mm -hmm. and had also some very large projects that we were that we won partnering with them. Uh, one was the Gates Foundation Walls, and the other was um, Russell, Investments. Russell Investments. Their entire uh, building, when they moved to Seattle, we furnished uh, all of their office workstations. Yeah. And um, what did what did we learn? Um, we're no longer aligned. That uh, relationship, uh, we we left that relationship with a number of struggles in it. But what do you think that we learned from that? growth into that relationship and then exiting that relationship um you know yeah i i, I when something doesn't work out i always try to go back and and reevaluate and um you know hopefully i'm self aware enough to know where maybe we contributed to a, a relationship like that not working out but at the end of the day uh, everything is uh, centers around our core values. Mm -hmm. And when we're aligned with manufacturers who share our core values, how they run their business is uh, um, very much in alignment with how we view uh, customers and our employees, et cetera. When we select those manufacturers through that lens, um, it's pretty amazing what we can do as a partnership to solve customer problems. And in that particular case, it, we just weren't really aligned in terms of our core values with that particular manufacturer. So yep. it became a struggle. And, uh, you know, I think we're better off not having uh, that partnership. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we went into it saying this is the next stage of growth for APS. This is the next step we need to take. But then we came out of it saying, man, we learned a lot from not having to take those steps that we think we need to take for the sake of taking them. Rather, let's look for the right relationships in the partners, the vendor partners that we work with and that we represent in the market. I think the same is true with early on, we were throwing people at our growth. And that was always a struggle. And we had turnover. Um, today, um, you know, we don't have the same struggles we used to have. I think that the struggles were not just acquiring talent, but retaining talent. What do you think that, um, and I believe we have the best team that we've ever had working at Apex uh, currently. I agree. And I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um, what do you think, uh, and we were actually recognized in 2021 as one of the best places to work. So what do you think has led to that success with people? Well, as I mentioned, when things uh, aren't working out, I go back and try to evaluate what's getting in the way. And yes, in those early growth years, uh, basically, if you uh, had some experience in our industry, you were hired. Yeah, <laughs> you were hired, and uh, and it took uh, I don't know a number of years to finally figure out that who we hire was as integral to our uh, success and growth and our customer satisfaction as anything. Um, and so I started started evaluating what makes an employee, because we've had long-term employees, um, you know, 17, 18 years with Apex, what makes those employees successful at Apex? And in that, um, journey of discovering what that was for us, um, it, we came down to four traits that really make an employee successful. 
at Apex. Um, those are natural problem solver, uh, finisher versus a starter. They can see things through. Um, embracing change. Embracing change yeah. and continuous learner. And um, when we started hiring with those traits in mind, um, our core values also very important. Um, but we also uh, started implementing or did implement uh, the core values index. It's a it's called CBI, and it helps to make sure that uh, the person is actually well suited for their role as it's defined at Apex. They may have been successful in another company doing the same job. But at Apex, our requirements might be uh, very specific, and um, you can't just sort of plug and play just because someone has experience somewhere else. Right. And so when we started tying those things together, our success rate, our, it's, if we followed our, our hiring process, our success rate of hiring and retaining someone just went through the roof in terms of success. And so um and when and when and if somebody left, we could go back to that hiring process and we said, oh, we, there it is, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It was usually yeah. a, a misalignment yeah. in one of our core values, or we have ignored the CVI sometimes yeah. to our own detriment, um, where someone was struggling and we could really tie it back to we put them in a role that they weren't really well, you know, hardwired for or right. didn't have the DNA for. So um, I think in doing that, uh, it, it's increased our, um, to be honest, we can do a lot more work with fewer people as a result of um, hiring the right people for the right position. Right. And so uh, we also use it to promote from within. So if someone, we have an example of someone who was hired for a warehouse position um, when we had a position in the office open, we went back through all the employees, CBIs, and it turned out she was actually very well suited for this other role as a project coordinator. And, and uh, we made that transition. She's happy. We're thrilled. Uh, warehouse had to replace her position. But uh, but I, I that's an operational problem. <laughs> I strongly believe in it, putting people in the yeah. right role. Uh, and then letting setting them up for success and letting them, you know, kind of take it and run with it. Right. Um, it's just been really amazing to watch. Uh, I think that's to your to your point. I think that's why the team is so amazing. I, I agree. And the other thing for me, which was meaningful, we did work to discover what our brand pillars were in the market, and that also helps uh, somewhat to filter not just for retaining it or for uh, acquiring and, and um, hiring talent and onboarding talent, but also for actual customer interface and customer interaction. We were saying yes to everything where we should not have been saying yes. And it gave the ability to a lot of our team to say no to deals that we shouldn't be doing because we're not set up to do them. Mm -hmm. So now the other interesting factor around Apex is we're a family business. Yeah. Um, we have three children. And we joke about Apex being our fourth child. Um, what what it's was a it? Twenty-five-year-old child. It is living in the basement. It is. We have not escaped from the basement yet. Uh, the other beautiful factor here is that our other wonderful children have all moved out of the basement. So that's a good thing. What is it like having three kids who have all worked in the business? How did that work out for the kids? 
I jokingly call it the tour of duty um, at Apex. Uh, I, I think Matt and I come from humble backgrounds. And so it was very important to me that our kids have that sense of a strong work ethic. And so Cole, our oldest, came back from Western, Western Washington University, started working in the business. She's been with us 18 years and wow. is now our controller. Uh, but she, life. <laughs> she pretty much right. uh, worked. She started as a receptionist, started working with our CFO, and then has has pretty much worked in every position in the company except for design and some uh, operational positions. But she loved the business, loved the challenge, um, and has really uh, flourished in our work environment. Um, our middle child uh, also went to Western. Uh, they did a little tour of duty, decided it was not for them. Like, that's the job I absolutely don't want. And uh, is now a tattoo artist up in Bellingham. And our son, our youngest, uh, worked on the trucks, um, in the warehouse, and uh, on the move crew. And how about the account work, too? He was yeah. out in a facility. We do a lot of facility support and staffing, and he was out there as well. And he also learned what he didn't want to do. (laughs) So he uh, went off, loves cars, went off to uh, get his AA as an auto mechanic and uh, is now working in Woodenville at a shop that uh, works on high end um, luxury cars and motorcycles. So he's super, yeah, super happy. And so they did their tour of duty. Yeah. <laughs> so, some stayed in the uh, in, uh, stayed enlisted. One one st- stuck around, yeah. and the other two yeah, found and other passions the outside. Growth, specifically yeah. with Nicole has, and all the kids have had great growth. And um, nothing's perfect, but the growth within Nicole uh, that she's the, the opportunities that she's had to grow here, I think have, have really developed into some, I mean, first of all, she has an old soul to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as a little eight-year-old, she'd sit at the table like an adult. And I remember, you know, having conversations and not even recognizing she was a, a kid. And in today's world, she is, you know, a, a mother of two and doing really well. You know, Yeah, no, she has a, a, a great life, Super family life. Um it is now it's interesting to watch her juggle work, uh, two little girls, you know, spouse, family. Um, totally but, getting it done. But yeah, su- super proud of all three of our kids. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I think is interesting to discuss that we talk about a bit here at the house is the last few years we've reignited and reengaged with women business enterprise and we're a certified women in, in our, uh, business enterprise business. Um, but the first time we went through the certification process was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, what was happening then and what's happening now with WeBank in terms of your opinion as a women-owned business? And tell us a little about your thoughts on the women business enterprise process and you know why we're a business enterprise now. Apply for a women business enterprise national council certification. We were also certified with the state of Washington as a women business enterprise. The uh, back then it it was it hadn't quite taken off. Um, there were some large corporations like Microsoft that um, saw early on. I, I I think what drives a lot of this are federal contracts. To be honest, and the federal government requires a certain diversity spend. Um, if you are doing uh, projects with the federal government, um, there could be more to it than that uh, regarding the state, et cetera. 
but uh, it, it hadn't quite taken off. And so it never seemed to be the reason a company was working with us. And yeah. it, it's a lot of work to get certified. And so I we let the, the certification lapse. And then just, I don't know, a year ago or so. Oh, it's been 20 years. No, no, no. We just recently reapplied. Right, and, yeah. right. So a, a year or two ago, it started kind of coming up to the forefront again as being a requirement. And so we went through the recertification process and got recertified in January of 2022. And uh, I'm about to go through the recertification process now. Um, More and more companies have diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of their company's mission. Um, Some of the larger organizations have a department head that oversees that in their contracting and vendor relationships. And so um, I I think it's uh, more desirable and, um, you know, it's hard to find women-owned businesses in moving companies, for example. Right. and so uh, we we see it as a really good opportunity to show our that we're uh, able to help those corporations with their diverse vendor relationships. Yeah, I think that the team that we have is very diverse as well. Um, and I think that's also a, a result of, of women business enterprise leadership. Um, I, I also uh, appreciate the fact that despite being a women business enterprise, we've grown tremendously over the last 20 years and had great success um, and didn't didn't rely on that. It didn't rely on any kind of status for our growth. And I think that both of us, you and I both come from kind of that old school, just get out, roll your sleeves up and work until you can't work anymore. And right. if we outwork our competition... Um, it was that, a do whatever it took. Yeah, do, um, what, do, do what it takes to get it done. Yeah. Um, and... Um, I think that that still um, is a great recipe, but working smarter is also a really strong um, philosophy as we've seen technology evolve so dramatically. And we do have a strong um, emphasis on growth through efficiency and technology. So um, what do you think, just to kind of wrap our conversation up, you've had um, 25 years leading the company. What would you, if you were sharing your learning, leadership learning lessons, what would they be? Well, that's a good question. Um, It's funny. When I first started down this path, I read a book called E-Myth by Michael Gerber. I think that's his last name. Uh, Real easy read. It's a parable. um, But it talks about when you start a business, uh, you're doing all the jobs. And I... I do look back at, I had to teach myself um, accounting. I got QuickBooks. I had to teach myself design, um, bought a design program. I didn't come from the industry, so I had to learn everything, um, you know. That's a great point of emphasis, not having come from the industry. I didn't come from the industry. So I had a a huge learning curve. But um, again, just sort of my uh, continuous learner self. Um, took it on and and had to um, learn these different programs, et cetera. So I pretty much held every job in the company at the beginning. And so that helps me understand the role that someone who may be filling filling that position now, say a designer or an accounting person, I do have a a point of reference, a frame of reference of what it takes to do that job. I think that's really helpful. 
But the transition for an entrepreneur is hard because um, to give up some of those things, uh, you have to trust. Uh, you know, it goes back to that hiring. Um, the transition from doing the doing to then just looking more strategically and letting others do the doing is probably the hardest transition that an entrepreneur can make. And um, actually, I found that it's much easier now that the pandemic um, forced us all to work remotely. I'm not in the office hardly at all. And um, so I don't hear those conversations where I know the answer to everything. Um, so, the so I'm tempted to then take it on and solve the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that was one thing is you, at some point, you have to, if you're going to grow, you have to give up the things that maybe you did, you know, when you first started the business. Um, so then not. hiring the right people to do those, those roles is the next critical thing. Because if you don't have people to delegate to, you can't yourself as a leader grow. I think it's really hard. I think for me, I, we, our physical move from Seattle to Cleo in 2017 was vital for me because uh, if I didn't get away from it, I couldn't stop doing Right. Doing the doing. And um, that I think that's the hardest thing because what you're good at, you feel you want to do more of. And what you should be doing is strategically leading the business. So you, I mean, you made that transition pretty, pretty darn well. Well, I'd also say that 80% of our day should be done doing the, our highest and best use. So what we're good at and what we love to do. And the 20% is all the other stuff that, you know, we need to do, but it's not necessarily fun or it's just the stuff that sometimes we're, we're like, like reading contracts for me isn't like, woohoo, but I'm good at it. And, uh, you know, with my background. And so that's something I do. It's, that's my responsibility. But, um, you know, 80% of the time of our day, in our day should be spent doing what we're good at and what we love to do. And yeah. you can get a lot of work done when people are focused in that manner. And that goes back to alignment. Yeah. Well, we could talk all day. And we do. <laughs> and we do. Well, thank you so much for coming aboard and um, coming on our ninth podcast. This is episode number nine. So uh, we had to tune up and get our, our, our wheels working before we had the 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 boss lady on so thank you again marlene for coming on the podcast and um we look forward to having you back yeah happy to come back thank you very much thank you for tuning in to transcending workspace if you'd like to hear more please subscribe to our channel visit apexfacility.com for more information about how we can help you build an adaptive workspace